The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's late on November 1st, 2022, as we record a new emergency version of the podcast. The Chicago White Sox have found themselves a manager. Rumored to be attached an interview for the managerial opening early in the process, former Kansas City Royals bench coach Pedro Grafal was reported by Buster Olney and Marlo Rivera of ESPN as the next White Sox manager. Grafal has been part of the Royals coaching staff since 2013. He served many roles ranging from catching coach, quality control, hitting coach, and bench coach. Now, he's the Chicago White Sox manager, taking the reins of a squad that's still in their contention window going into 2023. Let's learn more about Pedro Grafal and his time with the Kansas City Royals. Joining me is the editor-in-chief of Royals Review, it's Max Reaper. And Max, it's been a while. Thanks for coming back on the Sox Machine Podcast. Yeah, it has been a while. Thanks for having me on. We both have managers in place, so uh, I guess we can kind of officially move forward with our offseason, huh? <laughs> I guess so. Uh, what should White Sox fans know about their new manager? Well, Pedro Grafal is uh, kind of a baseball lifer. Uh, he's uh, someone that's been coaching for 20 years. He started, I think, with the Mariners, kind of moved on to the Twins and the Mets, but where the Royals is kind of where he was able to gain a, uh, you know, kind of a foothold uh i think joining uh, about 10 years ago in 2012 is when he joined the organization and he's kind of been a jack of all trades with the royals he started out as like um kind of an unassigned role and then moved on to fill in as hitting coach when uh the, the they fired their hitting instructor and he kind of took the heat in 2014 when the, the team got off to a terrible start hitting wise and they actually reassigned him not that it was really his fault it just said a lot of young hitters weren't really hitting and maybe needed a different voice and so at that point, he went on to become a quality control coach, uh, a catching instructor, which at the time, I think we kind of chuckled because we we're like, what's a catching coach? Salvador Perez does not need instruction on how to catch. Uh, but it was really, I think they valued him as a coach and they were just kind of looking for him to kind of fill in as needed. Um, and it wasn't really until uh, 2020 when Mike Bethini 
uh, got the managerial job, uh, they also inter- they also considered Pedro Grafal as well. They considered it so considered so much of him, uh, thought so much of him that they uh, considered him for the managerial job. Didn't give it to him at that time. I think a lot of uh, Royals fans wanted him to get the job at that point because he had kind of been the 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 one to bring the Royals into the 21st century. He was the one that was like, hey, this analytics thing that I know we're not the cutting edge team uh, on analytics, but we should probably start listening to our analytics department that we've invested in so much in. Uh, and so he was him that really uh, got the Royals to start shifting. Ned Yost was very resistant to that at first, uh, but he was, you know, Grafal was kind of the one that was the, the, the communicator between the analytics department and the on-field staff. So he was kind of getting the buy-in, kind of talking Ned Yost into it, uh, slowly won some converts with the infielders and the pitchers. Uh, and not just that, but, you know, he, he noticed that, you know, Salvador Perez for all his gold gloves is a terrible frank pitch framer. Uh, and so Pedro noticed that, uh, was trying to work with, with, with Salvi on improving that. Now Salvi's still a pretty bad pitch framer. So I wouldn't say he was successful in that regard, but he was, he at least had his ear to analytics and was trying to drag the Royals into the modern age of baseball. So you are getting someone who is, um, I think, you know, very uh, open to analytics. I, you know, I wouldn't say he's necessarily cutting edge, but if you have a good analytics department, I think he can, he can be the one to communicate that to the players and the coaching staff. He is really well liked among players. Uh, he often served as a translator back in the days when not every team had a translator. Um, so he's, you know, he's bilingual, gets along with the Latino players very well. Um, and just a good, good guy. I mean, everyone just kind of raves about what a good person he is. Obviously, Dayton Moore there's one thing he did kind of stress it was good people in the organization and that's that's certainly Pedro Grafal to a T so he's a guy that I mean honestly a lot of Royals fans were looking uh, as, as a possible managerial candidate I think a lot of fans would have been happy had he got the job in Kansas City so it's kind of tough to see him go to Chicago because you're a division rival and we want him to succeed but not too well now but uh, <laughs> you are you are getting a really good guy who, who is at least I think uh, analytically minded and I think should be a, po- a, a you know positive for the for the White Sox and the direction they're going so you mentioned as far as the analytics and that's been a struggle for the white Sox, especially with tony la russa often quoting observational analytics which is nothing and i'm so glad i don't have to worry about that phrase anymore it's just a way to say the eye test and trusting my gut and the the old school ways do you think rafal made a lot of headway in his time with kansas city to influence change yeah, well, he was running up against some headwinds, right? I mean, Ned Yost was very old school. Um, Dayton Moore, certainly, I mean, that, the reason why he doesn't have a job anymore is because he could not adapt to the modern day, base, modern style of baseball. Um, and, and and even with Mike Matheny, I mean, he kind of talked the talk, but he's, I don't think anyone would confuse Mike Matheny for, you know, a modern analytical manager. So, uh, yeah, he, I mean, I think he made some, some progress. I mean, obviously the shifts, you know, now it seems easy to say because every team, employs a lot of shifts, but you know, there was a day and age, you know, 2017 or so where the Royals still weren't, weren't shifting, uh, even though, you know, you were starting to see that from the Rays and the Astros and some other teams. And, and he did his homework. I mean, he, you know, he was skeptical at first and he kind of listened to the analytics department and uh, was able to make his case. So I think he made some progress, but he was running up against some headwinds. And that's, that's part of what, uh, I mean, I, some, some I'm sure some White Sox fans are wondering why, you know, we had a managerial opening too in Kansas city, why did he get passed over for that? And I think the, the answer is that, you know, th- this is an organization that has struggled to get into the 21st century. And I think they needed kind of a, a clean break uh, and, and get someone that was from outside the organization, especially considering that the replacement for Dayton Moore 
came internally. Uh, so I think there was a lot of skepticism, like, okay, well, is this, this is this Dayton Moore 2.0? And if we hire Pedro Grafal, is he just Mike Matheny 2.0? And so we kind of had to go outside the organization to kind of lay that to rest. But I think Grafal would have been an excellent manager for the Royals uh, had they kind of had the luxury of going in that direction. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, the other thing is the Royals are in a much different situation than the White Sox, right? The Royals are trying to develop young pitchers, young hitters who haven't quite made it. Uh, the White Sox are a team that has a lot of talent. A lot of teams think can contend next year for a championship. And he learned under Mike Matheny, or learned, excuse me, uh, learned under uh, Ned Yost, who, for all his faults, did lead a team to two pennants and a championship. Um, and was kind of masterful at managing different personalities, getting the most out of a clubhouse, uh, especially when a team had their back up against the wall. So I think you're getting a good leader of men. Um, it's not going to be necessarily up for him to him, you know, to, to do the analytics, that's up to your analytics department, but I think he'll be the one that's going to be able to translate that into on-field results. So I think that is good, a good pairing for what the White Sox need at this point. As you mentioned, he's had an opportunity to be on coaching staffs have won two American league pennants and won the world series. There is going to be pressure on the White Sox in 2023 to win with contract situations in 2024 at 2025, the contention window could be shut if the White Sox repeat 2022 and 2023 with uh, those contract situations coming up on some key core players. Do you think, Rafal, with this being his first managing job, that he'll be able to handle that type of pressure well? Because the expectation is to win and win immediately. No, I think that's the question you have with any first-time manager. I mean, we're kind of we, we asked that a little bit of Matt Quattraro, who is the Royals new manager, because he's never managed before. He's uh, at least at the big league level. He's uh, never been the one answering questions after the post game. Why did you pull this guy? Why did you uh, put this picture in? Why didn't, why don't you hit this guy number uh, second in the lineup? And so we'll see. Pedro's never really been in the limelight in Kansas city, even among the coaches. I think it was, he was kind of overshadowed by like Rusty Kuntz, who was a popular first base coach who got a lot of press uh, when the team went to the championship. Pedro was kind of always working in the background, uh, but you know, he's a guy that seems pretty even keel. Um, like I said, I think he's good with personalities. I think it'll work. I think he will get along with the media really well. I think that was kind of a, he did have a knack for that a little bit in Kansas city. He didn't have a lot of stories about him, but he did seem to have a good rapport with the media. Uh, so I think he will have that going for him. I mean, the Chicago media is different than Kansas city. I mean, I think it's a, it's a bigger market. Like you said, raised expectations. Uh, so we'll have to see that. That's probably the biggest question mark I would have about him going forward is just how do you handle those expectations? Because frankly, in Kansas city, we haven't had expectations in a long time. It's been very, uh, you know, very, a very low bar to clear and they haven't cleared it. Uh, Chicago is going to be different and we're going to see how Pedro deals with that. But I, you know, I, I believe in the guy. I think he's a, he's a really good candidate. Like I said, I'm really kind of disappointed. He's going to Chicago. I'm glad he's getting the opportunity, but uh, you hate to see it with the division rival. So from your perspective, Max, do you approve of Kansas city's new managerial hire? Yeah, I think uh, Matt Quattrara makes a lot of sense. He seems like a guy that has been pretty coveted by a lot of teams, was interviewed with a number of different teams, which that that raises a little bit of red flag why he hasn't been hired yet. But um, I think you're getting, you know, like I said, they needed to hire someone from outside the organization. This is a, a team that has kind of got, has really gotten stale, has been gotten behind the curve uh, when they're a small market team that needs to be ahead of the curve. And so bringing Quattrara in, you know, we'll see how much he had to do with the Rays' success, but certainly – if, if any if any of Kevin Cash and that Rays uh, you know, organizational uh, development has rubbed off on him, he's going to be, you know, he'll do a much better job than they've been doing in Kansas City. So I think a lot of Royals fans are very happy with the uh, with the pick. 
Um, I think we're excited about the direction this, the franchise is finally going after so, you know, being a, a team that's kind of mired in, 1980, in the 1980s for so long. Uh, we're kind of, <laughs> you know, moving into the 21st century and uh, they're at least saying all the right things and doing the right things. Whether it'll translate into results, we'll see. But um, I, th- I think Royals fans fi- feel like we're finally on the right track here. Well, Cleveland copied your guys' blueprint from 2014 and 2015, and it works in 2022. So any chance the Royals go back to those types of that type of baseball playing? Well, the Cleveland also has a really good starting pitch again. <laughs> That's something we haven't, we haven't been able to develop in, in a long time. And it's interesting, like John Sherman, the owner of the Royals, he used to be the minority owner of the Cleveland right. uh, then Indians. And uh, I, that's clearly an organization he wants to emulate at this point. Uh, when he fired Dayton Moore, he, he mentioned the, the Rays and Guardians were the two teams he really talked about. Like, hey, if they can do it, there's no reason why we can't do it. You know, the small market be damned. And he's right. I mean, there's no reason why they can't develop starting pitching, which they've just been terrible at for 20 years now. Uh, you've got Danny Duffy. Jordana Ventura and and maybe now maybe Brady Singer and all, each of those guys are good but they're not you know necessarily all star caliber pitchers so it's it's a it's a track record that, that they've tried to uh, try to you know they're trying to reverse and and it's good that they they've got their eye on the right things it seems like now follow the Cleveland model I think we I think Royals fans would be happy with that because it seems like you know Cleveland aside from not winning a championship you know they're in the hunt every year they're developing pitcher after pitcher you know, year in, year out. So uh, that's, that's definitely the model the Royals fans want to follow. Yes. Cleveland, very annoying. That's what I take away <laughs> Still from. annoying after all these years. <laughs> uh, you can follow Max on Twitter. He's at Max Reaper, but also follow Royals Review at Royals Review uh, on Twitter and you read their excellent work at RoyalsReview.com. Jim and I often reference you guys all the time when it comes to Kansas City Royals news. It'd be interesting offseason for Kansas City as well as they – Decide to make a transition. We'll see what interesting faces that they do have. They have been a thorn to the White Sox side, but the White Sox have now hired their bench coach. So we'll see if that reverse any types of trends. But Max, it's been great to catch up with you. And thank you so much for coming back on the Sox Machine Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I think it's going to be a really interesting offseason for the Royals and the White Sox. So, so stay tuned. <laughs> After a quick word from our sponsors, Jim Margulis joins me as we discuss more about the new White Sox manager. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Going to a coffee shop is a great experience, but it's not something most of us can do every single day. If you're looking for that delicious local coffee shop taste on a daily basis, it's so much easier to get it with Trade Coffee. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so simple for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment is required. Trade partners with the nation's top-rated independent roasters to send you coffee they know you'll love fresh to your home and on your preferred schedule. And you get to support small local businesses. It's a win-win. Whether you already know what you like or new to a specialty coffee or maybe you need some help like I did as I was brand new in trying different varieties of coffee, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans for however you make your coffee at home. We have a Keurig at home with a special filter that I could use ground beans. The latest bag I've been enjoying is this Ethiopian blend from Roaster Congregation out of New Orleans. This blend has a caffeine kick that I enjoy with a hint of blueberries and cherries, which is a nice touch. It's part of our Socks Machine coffee collection on Trade. So whether you're just getting started or your body doesn't function until you have a cup of coffee, Trade guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll send you a new one for free. Upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork out of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your subscription plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash machine. That's drinktrade.com slash machine for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. Welcome back to the Socks Machine Podcast. Now joining me is the managing editor of SocksMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And uh, Jim, we just heard from Max Reaper of Royals Review, our, our friend, and he covers the Kansas City Royals, talking about Pedro Grafal. But it's not Ozzie Guillen as the next White Sox manager. You can now rest easy, Jim. Yes, and I thought this, uh, when you called this emergency podcast, I thought it was going to be for the Charlotte Knights new color scheme, uh, handsome new blue, <laughs> but nope, it's, uh, turns out there's a manager. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, not Ozzy, which is good. And I think the longer the Ozzy stuff went on, and, and as I was writing about it uh, the morning, and I think my post went live seven minutes before Buster Olney broke the news that uh, Griffal was the guy I wrote about like, eh, you know, if they're waiting till the world series or like a very specific day, yeah, this could be just the case of like, they already know who they have and like the drips and drabs and Ozzy Gans camp is just like letting it known. And, and so like the container is starting to break a little bit and they may as well, like now that the Royals hired Quattraro and that there are no other vacancies, like there's no point in keeping a secret anymore. Even if they want to wait for a day to make it official, like there's no point in pretending like they're still searching, you know, they can, you know, let Bob Nightingale or whoever know. And actually Bob Nightingale got beat by two ESPN reporters. So that's something. Uh, but yeah, that was my, my thought was just like, you know, there's, there's nothing to hide anymore. So why not let us know? And then they let us know. And that was nice. Well, the reporters did also. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, like if they don't want to make it official until like the day be between world series games and yeah, I mean, they, they can't, or it's like poor etiquette to uh, reveal it themselves. So, you know, they can let their channels, you know, know that it's okay to like, let it drip out through anonymous sources, but yeah, not Aussie. So automatically a small victory. So Pedro Grafal, are you surprised he's the higher? A little bit just because of the timing, like he was one of the original interviewees and unlike Joe Espada, he was not ruled out by anybody at any point the way that like even, you know, Ron Washington wasn't officially ruled out on the same level 
as a spotter, but I think it was John Heyman saying that he's unlikely, you know, it was unclear what Heyman knew uh, and, and how clued in he was on the search, but it was something where he was saying that didn't seem like the guy. And Griffall, you know, maybe it was because he had a low profile or, you know, relatively anonymous in terms of like, you know, he wasn't Bruce Bochy or he wasn't, you know, a a spot type coming off a world series type team that would cause the situation to be dragged out that, you know, just maybe he was under the radar. And so like nobody had an opinion on him either way, or nobody heard about him either way to say he's in or out. And sure enough, he's in. And, uh, uh I'm curious, you know, I'll ask you this question cause I'm thinking about it in my head on a scale of one to 10, how excited are you for the hire of Griffal? I would say a six, I'm cautiously optimistic about Pedro Grafal. I think a six. It's funny. I'm a, f- I think I'm a four, Oh. but I think it's mainly because like of this current pool of, you know, likely managerial candidates. And, you know, like we've talked about the very high leverage job this is for a manager to immediately stop a rebuild from uh, collapsing. It's an important job. So I think, you know, my cap on a manager we know nothing about is probably a six. So I think, you know, if you're saying it's one to six, then it's a four. But I think like Bruce Bochy might've been the only one who might've transcended that skill just because we know who he is. We know, like generally speaking, what he does. We know that if the rebuild stalls, probably not Bochy's fault. You know, probably knows that, you know, just more a matter of like great structural problems versus like a manager, uh, that they shouldn't have hired. So, you know, he might've been like a seven or eight. And I'm thinking like of recent years, probably Terry Francona replacing either Ozzie Gian or Robin Ventura after his first year would have been like a nine. Okay. So I think that's kind of where I'm on a scale. So I think four in terms of like, there's no specific reason I think to be excited about Grafal. The reasons to like, like the way, you know, that the White Sox didn't hire anybody internally. They're not keeping Joe McEwing and Daryl Boston. They're not like foisting a ton of coaches upon him. It seems like he's going to be able to hire most of his staff. So, I mean, those parts are good. You know, communicator by, uh, you know, bilingual, like he's got those things going for him. That's fine. But in terms of like, you know, the, the pedigree, the organization he's coming from a little bit lacking in that regard, uh, to where like, you know, we've heard that he was you know, the analytical link, uh, between the front office and the dugout. And it's like, yeah, but it's the Royals. And that's kind of like saying Jose Abreu was the fastest White Sox first baseman. Like it's true, but is that saying much? <laughs> so that's, you know, that, that's kind of where I'm coming from in terms of like, you know, trying to figure out how much that means. But yeah, that's, that's why I'm thinking like, you know, just how important this job is and how we don't really know anything about him, how he's never been proven as a manager. Like, I think my excitement is capped. It's fine. You know, it's acceptable from what we know so far. But, you know, I'm just trying to get jazzed about it. Not quite there yet. Yeah, Max touched on that. Like the Royals trying to get into the 21st century. And Grafal is the one that volunteered himself working with the analytics department and try to get Ned Yost to buy more into it. And also Mike Matheny. And oftentimes butted heads because they were old school guys. Dade Moore was an old school guy, even though they invested in analytics, but they invested as little as the Chicago White Sox have. And that was a point that I made with Max and that I want to share with you, Jim. And maybe it requires further discussion here. Joining the CHGO show with Sean Anderson and Herb Lawrence and their beat reporter, Vinny Duber. I mentioned that we don't know yet 
if Grafal was the number one guy for the White Sox. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we may never know if he was truly the number one guy or if it was somebody else, but due to circumstances that they couldn't hire the number one guy, they couldn't reach to a deal. So they quote unquote saddle for Grafal, even though everything that's being reported is that he blew away Jerry Reinsdorf, Rick Khan, and, and Kenny Williams in the interview process. But with the White Sox analytics department, with us having to hear observational analytics the last couple of years, knowing that the White Sox have one of the smallest analytics departments in Major League Baseball, like are the White Sox ready for a manager that does appreciate and embrace analytics? Is this still an area that they are continuing to grow even though now they're in the contention window and this probably should have been addressed when, while they were rebuilding because that's the whole point mm-hmm. of a rebuild is just not rebuilding your roster but also rebuilding your baseball operations. That That's where I, I am a bit curious because you, know, you talk about the one to two scale. A 10 for me would have been Joe Espada because that's my guy. That's my guy. Mm-hmm. But the more I think about it, the White Sox don't have the front office infrastructure to meet the demands of Joe Espada. The Houston Astros have two hitting coaches. They have two pitching coaches. They have triple the team, triple the staff in their analytics department than the White Sox do. There would be requirements from Joe Espada from the White Sox front office to do his job. If they can't meet his requirements, that would be a problem between the White Sox and Espada. So if you go down to Grafal, who is used to not working with much at the Kansas City Royals, well, that may seem like a better fit for the White Sox, but the White Sox are still behind the curve in this particular department. So while people can, you know, put down the Royals that they're still trying to join the 21st century, you know what? So are the White Sox. Yeah, that's one thought that crossed my mind. Well, uh, a few things. One is that you, you mentioned, you know, will we know if he's the first choice and yeah, that's one, I guess, drawback of waiting this long to announce their guy when Griffal was interviewed that early. Like Skip Shoemaker, when the Marlins hired him, like there was very much an established inside track for Shoemaker as the rumors were unfolding and the pool was being expanded and then whittled down uh, among the interviewees. And so there was a sense when he was hired that like, oh yeah, uh, Shoemaker seemed like the favorite. Uh, Bochi, the uh, Rangers took a direct line to him. The the Blue Jays said very uh, favorable things about John Schneider uh, before committing to him. You know, removing the interim label. You know, they said that you know they hadn't given you know a, a full thought yet with the uh, postseason over. They wanted to take a moment to size up the situation, make sure Schneider was the right guy going forward, and he was. But they said they basically said like it's going to be hard to think of arguments against him. So. That was not a surprise, but you know, with the White Sox waiting as long as they did, uh, and being very cloudy, uh, opaque about their you know process and the names, it is kind of you know if you want to be a cynic or a skeptic, you can say like maybe they're waiting on Quattaro to make his decision, and then you know uh, went with Grafal after that, and and they're gonna you know pull the Nick Hostetler thing about Zach Collins, like, oh, we would have taken him at number one, which no, they wouldn't have. Uh, but I hope just, not. You know, <laughs> it's that kind of, yeah. But, you know, I think the thing is, you mentioned the point about, like, 
analytics departments they're used to. And that's kind of the point I'm thinking of. Like, I like Quattraro, partially because of the raised ties, partially because of, like, you know, what people were saying about him uh, when the Royals hired him. Also, like, the upstate New York ties, Capital Region, like, a big fan of, like, the Albany Times Union writing articles. Yeah, that's, that's where I used to work for listeners. Uh, unfamiliar, I worked at the Times Union for 15 years, and I saw Times Union articles about the Quattraro hire, and like, oh, that's that would have been nice to have that about the White Sox. So, you know, that really doesn't interest anybody else but me, but... I'm fully transparent here. And so that's what I was kind of rooting for, you know, all things being equal. And I thought like a lot of things were equal in this case, but yeah, I had that thought too, in terms of, you know, what is a spotty used to, what is he going to get? And, and ultimately like what skills are more important for this job? Um, Cause I'm thinking like AJ Hinch with Detroit, like mm-hmm. AJ Hinch looked like a genius, a world series winning manager when he's with the Astros. He goes to Detroit with a very old school front office and Al Avila, who's not able to get things going. And he, you know, the Tigers are a disaster and there's nothing he can do. And, you know, the, the Diamondbacks were a mess when he was in charge there. So is AJ Hinch like a great manager or is he just great at playing good hands when they're dealt to him? Uh, and, you know, are the White Sox going to give their manager a good hand? If not, like, can, like, or, or in this case, like an uneven hand, because I think the White Sox have talent that the Tigers don't have. Just more of a matter of like, are they going to be available? Can they manage guys who are hurt versus injured? Uh, you know, can they, you know, try to implement some swing tweaks kind of like uh, mid-career, which I think some guys need in order to optimize their approaches, especially if the ball is going to be dead to the opposite field. And that's why I think these you know, hires that are going to be happening under uh, Griff Hall with hitting coaches will be important. But uh, I think, you know, maybe some of the softer skills, uh, interpersonal communication, um, you know, motivation is probably a bigger factor here than how fluent he is in launch angle is especially now that shifts are being minimized. Uh, you, you know, some, some, some organizations might be better at gaming, uh, the, the rules and others, or at least, you know, kind of figuring out how to adjust better. But I mean, like that's the one thing being taken out of a manager's hand is, you know, how much to shift, how much position. So job might be getting simpler. And if the job is getting simpler across the board for managers, then maybe, you know, coming from a raise grade or Astros grade, uh, infrastructure is really not that important for the White Sox job as it stands. It's really just more about can the mistakes of last year be avoided, like the avoidable ones, <laughs> like playing guys uh, or, or rostering guys who can't answer the bell, sticking with you know, starting pitchers through the fifth inning to get them to win, intentionally walking guys on one, two count, like losing count leverage with intentional walks, you know, all that kind of stuff. Will that be avoided? And, you know, that's one thing with Griffal is like, we don't know, like Ron Washington, another guy like I would have felt like more comfortable about him being somebody who can get great performances out of veteran players in established major leaguers. Griffal, don't know. But I, I think that's really probably what's a bigger question than, you know, the uh, finer points of, analytical thinking and, and, and transmitting data from the front office to the dugout. Again, we don't know how much data is being fed. The White Sox are trying though. They have two job openings that if you are interested, you go to fangraphs.com in their job board. The White Sox are hiring in their analytics staff. It used to be and a let lot. Let us know smaller. if you interview, let us know if you interview, tell us everything about it. We'll, we'll keep it between us. We just want to know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I probably won't keep it to myself, but it'd be great to, to learn what the interview process is, but no, the, the White Sox are trying, but they're, again, they're still, they're still behind. 
And the fact that we're still talking about this in November of 2022, that they're still behind is another thing that they missed during the rebuild. And I'm not entirely sure if that is someone that we point at the front office and we blame them, or it's just Jerry Reinsdorf not really budging, believing a lot of this is just science experiments and he's an old baseball guy and I don't understand why we need to have seven analysts. We could just have two Brooklyn Dodgers, Abbott's field. <laughs> exactly. Etc. That was my favorite team. Thanks Jerry. Uh, <laughs> they're trying, they're, they're trying to expand and they understand that they're behind the curve and, and they're still trying to catch up. So that's why I think this could be a good pairing. Pedro Grafal is used to making the most out of very little in Kansas city. The White Sox have a little more than what Kansas City does. So maybe this could work out uh, as far as both sides meeting expectations. Back to when Rick Hahn, during Tony La Russa's retirement party, uh, I shouldn't really call it a party. There was really nothing to celebrate. But the second retirement speech for Tony La Russa and Rick Hahn reiterating what he said after he fired Rick Renteria in 2020, the, the qualities that he was looking for in the next manager. Recent experience in the dugout with a team that has experienced championships. Managerial experience is not a requirement in that field. Griffal checks that off. The He's part of the Royals coaching staff in 2014 and 2015. 2015, they win the World Series. Excellent communicator who understands the way of the game that has grown, evolved, and has old school sensibilities. I don't know exactly what this means. Like... This is a bunch of gibberish to me. Excellent communicator. I'm assuming that everyone that you speak to that you would even think about hiring is an excellent communicator. Uh, grown and involved, but has old school sensibilities. It's really hard to be cutting edge if you continue to go to your old school sensibilities, Jim. It's like East Coast style, West Coast flavors. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> the idea. Like we're modern, but traditional. Yeah, just the fact that he had to repeat those criteria twice. Uh, that's, I think I, I didn't pay attention to it really the second time. Cause like, Oh, I heard this one before click. Yeah. He has a tendency to have reruns. So whether it's right field DH manager, uh, it's amazing how he says the right thing or yeah, the same thing for the same jobs and still keeps his, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's fine. Like I said, like, that's why I had like a four and like, you know, and, that, and that's why like my expectations were capped because like, you know, Quattraro, Espada, like th those kind of. Uh, candidates, I, I kind of have the same reaction. Like, oh, I'd be more excited if it was Quattraro and you'd be more excited if, was, uh, excited if it were a Spada, but just they ultimately, ultimately comes back to, can the White Sox get out of their own way? And that, that question transcends whoever they hire because, uh, you know, they have a way of just tripping over themselves. And like, even with the, the media trying to figure out and learn about Griffal, just, you know, who he is, who talked to what? And I think George Brett was on 670 The Score. I heard this secondhand. I, I saw tweets about saying like that. Uh, Tony La Russa talked to George Brett about Griffal. Just like, why is La Russa involved? Like, you know, that's a case where like maybe the White Sox wouldn't have said that themselves. Uh, that La Russa was part of this committee or at least, you know, uh, collecting intel. And maybe they didn't ask him, but he did it anyway because, you know, Reinsdorf still talks to him or whatnot. But just it's a case where just like, ugh. like there's always reminders around every corner that, this is the White Sox that we're talking about and a lot can go wrong. That has nothing to do with the manager. So that's, that's, I guess what gives me peace about this specific decision. And 
Well, if I, I don't lose sleep over the White Sox, really, I, I've been doing this too long for them to bother me at that level. But <laughs> I, it gives me peace at the manager level and would make me lose sleep in, in the in the bigger picture if I allowed them to. But I think I have a healthy relationship with the White Sox now. So, as Jim mentioned, and according to the reporting from Ken Rosenthal at the Athletic, most of the White Sox coaching staff is not returning next year. Pitching coach Ethan Katz is being reported that he will stay on. But it looks like we could be getting new hitting and base coaches for the White Sox. There is a rumored name as far as the next bench yes. coach for the Chicago White Sox. <laughs> and what I was told is that the White Sox knew who the bench coach was before finalizing who the manager was, which is a bit odd. And that again, it is the White Sox, so let's not be surprised there. But the rumored name to be Grafal's bench coach is former Toronto Blue Jays manager Charlie Mantoya. So let's start there. If that rumor becomes true, Jim, with Grafal being a first-time manager, does it make you feel more comfortable if Charlie Mantoya is his bench coach? Uh, I guess it does and it doesn't. And you, you mentioned the bench coach before the manager, the the cart before the horse. And you know that's another thing that makes me wonder: like, did they get their guy? Um, you know, if they had some guys in mind they wanted to install for him, like a pitching coach. And I can see like Ethan Katz, like I think he's the most credible of the White Sox coaching staff and like the guy you want to keep. I'm, I'm not a, a devout believer in Ethan Katz. Like, you know, Dylan Cease took a step forward. Lucas Giolito took a step back, even though Giolito is his boy. And like the bullpen wasn't uneven and, you know, some guys couldn't pitch on back-to-back days effectively. So he has some strengths. He had some weaknesses, some, some um, you know, guys he can point to, guys you can point to if you're a little bit skeptical. So I'm more or less like, you know, I like him well enough. Um, I'm happy to see him stick around. But if like another manager candidate who like the White Sox, you know, really wanted, like had a belief in an equally credible but different pitching coach, like I don't know if I'd let, you know, cats get in the way necessarily. You know, I'd, I'd want to know who the pitching coach was. But just, you know, that's one thing I, I hope that the bench coach wasn't a precondition to accepting a job because that seems backwards. Also, like the pitching coach, at least it's like Don Cooper, like, you know, sticking with Don Cooper, firing Robin Ventura, but making Cooper stay there and making Rick Renteria take on Don Cooper and then firing them both at the same time because Cooper's stuff is running out. Like, that's unfair. Uh, this seems like a little bit more fair, and I can see like a new manager being amenable to having cats on the staff, but just that makes me a little bit, you know, slightly uncomfortable. Um, also, the idea that, you know, Montoyo, you know, has to be there, regardless of manager, makes me a little uncomfortable. Montoya himself, I think, is fine. Um, you know, he has that raise uh, background that you know the the White Sox sort of loved. Um, you know, he, he's had some you know experience, some good experience, some bad experience with the Blue Jays. Was fired midseason. One thing I'm curious about is that you know uh, reading about Griffal with the Royals, especially like when Ned Yost was retiring and they're looking for a replacement, like Griffal was uh, advertised as like a very positive presence, like somebody who gave players leeway to be themselves. And one of the reasons Montoyo, or maybe the reason why Montoyo got fired around the first half was that the, they felt like they needed a manager who could light a spark under some guys like a little bit too lax. Like they felt like just, they weren't getting enough and they needed a little bit of a harder approach. So is that two guys with a softer approach? Is that good cop, good cop? Does that matter? Like that's a case where I, I don't know if it matters, but just that's one thing that I'm thinking like with Robin Ventura, he had Mark Parent and Mark Parent was like the, you know, hard-nosed enforcer type and Ventura was more like the cool dad. And I, I think here it's like, we don't know exactly what Grafal is. So I don't want to paint him with any kind of brush, but just based on reputations, 
it seems a little bit samey to me. But then again, it just might not matter. That's just my first impression. So it'll be interesting to see. And uh, as far as their hiring process and on a hitting coach against Pedro Grafal should have a lot of say in who the next hitting coach is for the White Sox. If they do let Frank Medicino go, we we've heard that they're going to let most of the coaching staff go. We don't know specifics yet. We're assuming hitting coach. We're assuming the base coaches. And that's Joe McEwing. And Daryl Boston and Pedro Grafal as the new manager should have say like McEwing and Boston mm-hmm. should not be should not be safe through a fourth managerial tenure. This is be weird. Yeah. One thing that's interesting about Grafal is that he was briefly the Royals hitting coach and then they had a bad year. And so they reassigned him in the ranks. But like, I'm curious what a you know, what he might bring to the table as a failed hitting coach. That could be valuable. Hmm. That could be a case where like, you know, I, I couldn't do it. I didn't have these skills. This guy has these skills. Hmm. You know, that's just one thing that could comes to mind with his, with his, uh, you know, a uh, wide range of experiences. Like that might be something that comes in handy when it comes to establishing a staff. Um, but yeah, I certainly hope McEwing and Boston are gone. Like nothing against McEwing personally, Boston. I think there is some personal stuff you can't get into in terms of like, why is he still around in, in 2022? Um, mm-hmm. but it's a case where like, even if they were like, you know, fine citizens with no, you know, kind of allegations in their past, like it's a case where like they've been around, this would have been their fourth manager. Uh, the White Sox are not known for outfield defense, which is what Boston works on or infield defense, which is what Ewing works on or base running, which is what, uh, you know, both of them are somewhat involved in. Like why do they keep lasting staff to staff to staff? So here's hoping that, you know, Grafal, yeah. And maybe even Montoyo, like, you know, through his experience, you know, he might have a hand in like, uh, these guys could work together and bring in some guys they know that they think could have success from their experiences and, and you know, both their experiences they've had and experiences they want to have with a new organization emboldening them to uh, offer ideas and bring stuff to the table. I mentioned this when I was on the CHGO show as far as possible hitting coaches for the Chicago White Sox. I do not have a wide catalog as far as hitting coaches or who would be good hitting coaches. I'm sure we'll have people stumped for Chris Johnson, the hitting coach of the Charlotte Knights. The White Sox have gone down that path because Frank Menachino was the hitting coach of the Charlotte Knights. We've already talked about the park factors in Charlotte mm-hmm. are the, is the most friendly hitting environment in the minor league. So we are probably learning nothing based on the hitting stats down in Charlotte. So I'm not quite sure just how good Chris Johnson is. If the White Sox wanted to give someone new a chance at being in a major league hitting coach. If this is where, if they truly believe that Jim Tomey is going to be, would be a good major league coach. This might be the opportunity to give Tomey that shot and going from being assisted to Rick Hahn that if he wants to be a major league coach, I would be fine with him being the hitting coach or assistant hitting coach. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, that's a good point, or an assistant hitting coach uh, to, to give him that opportunity. Uh, th- some other names, you know, just kind of digging through that people have suggested that, you know, have piqued my interest. A couple of ex-Royals, Carlos Beltran, who is looking for another coaching job. Uh, Raul Abanez, uh, who speaks very highly of Grafal and who's currently working in the Major League Baseball uh, League offices. 
maybe those are potential, but again, we're, we're talking about ex major leaguers who are very good at the art of hitting. Mm-hmm. Can they coach and teach hitting? The thing I will say about Tommy is that he is involved with the White Sox as far as their hitting instructs in spring training. He is a roving hitting instructor for the organization. So he has some experience coaching guys one-on-one in the art of hitting right now within the White Sox farm system uh, and their development ranks. So if you want to give Tommy a shot, White Sox, and you think that he'll be a good coach, maybe this is the avenue to give him that opportunity. I do like the idea that you just presented, Jim, as maybe like an assistant hitting coach. But yeah, I, I, I think I don't I don't have any other good ideas as far as like hitting coach and base coaches. This is like out of my realm of expertise. Yeah, no, it's it's a case where like pick your guys, Pedro Grifal. Um, you know, yeah, that, that's that's kind of my case here. Like be be empowered to make some decisions and we'll see how they go. But this is a way for us to get to know him. If he can, you know, hire his own coaches. I think with Tommy, like, uh, you know, assistant would be fine, but also that feels like very much like Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, imposing somebody on him. Uh, also like I would prefer, and this is a case where maybe Montoyo would come in handy from like the blue Jays organization as somebody who might've seen, a better offense uh, and, and how they prepare for hitters. Like, is this a case where like, what did your hitting coaches have? What kind of data did they relay? What kind of information did they have? What kind of swing changes? What kind of, you know, tech did they use to try to implement swing tweaks to try to maximize, you know, that 250 home run power at Rogers center. This is a case where I might look to him to say like, you know, who are the guys who might be able to be that kind of messenger for the White Sox in 2023 like that's kind of uh where i'm going with this position and so i don't have any names uh because uh the white Sox aren't progressive enough i guess to have like the you mentioned chris johnson like that's a case where yeah that that's where frank minichino came from uh hitting coaches in charlotte always look good like charlie romero who's in birmingham people speak highly of him he's a very well-regarded communicator he was my translator when i talked to lenin sosa hmm. um so he's very much like the you know involved with coaching the Latin American prospects, but also like, you know, kind of being a voice for them as well. So, I mean, he's well-regarded in that respect, but you know, like I, I would prefer the hitting coach come from elsewhere and hopefully, you know, one of these uh, hires can just, they can keep, you know, adding inputs and brains and perspective from other organizations to maybe show like how retrograde the White Sox have been. And maybe, you know, the manager himself you know, as we saw with AJ Hinch, you know, it's not going to usher in a new wave of how things are going to be done. It needs to be done from, it needs more people buying in, but if you can get more of the coaching staff buying in, perhaps that's a case where, you know, that just, if, if hitting coach demands data and it's not there or like they aren't used to giving it to him, like that might inspire more hires upstream. You know, that's kind of how I'm thinking of this right now. So hopefully they know those guys. Yeah. There'll be more to discuss as the White Sox make the news official and maybe they fill out the rest of the coaching staff. Maybe they already know, or maybe they will figure it out in the upcoming days when they do make the announcement that Pedro Grafal will be officially the new Chicago White Sox manager. But we're finally done with the managerial search. We're finally done having to sweat out if it's going to be Ozzie Guillen or debating between other candidates and Kevin Long and... It ended up being someone that's never had managerial experience. There's a lot of pressure in 2023 on Pedro Grafal and the Chicago White Sox to win. And if they don't win in 2023, 
We could be looking at a possible rebuild again for the White Sox in 2024 and 2025 as the core players' contracts begin to expire or they get into club option territory where the White Sox can get underneath and out of these type of contracts if these core players do not live up to expectations. And then all of a sudden, Pedro Grafal, Jim, becomes the White Sox version of David Ross. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. The one thing that in, that's in Grafal's favor here is when he's hired and they make it official and they have the press conference, if he can go a couple weeks without any arrests being disclosed and court dates being discussed. He's already ahead of the curve. <laughs> it's such a low bar. It's yes. not even a bar. It's like a step. Just clear the step, please. Let's but for a first time manager, like it's, it's a nice smooth, soft introduction for him. That like is it. true. But that will do it for this emergency podcast as the Chicago White Sox have hired Pedro Grafal as the next manager. Thank you guys so much for listening. And a big thank you to Max Reaper, our friend over at Royals Review. Again, follow them on Twitter at Royals Review and read their excellent coverage of the Kansas City Royals at RoyalsReview.com. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Apple and Spotify. And you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can sign up to become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive coverage. They get ad-free versions of the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.